Welcome to Our Scars Speak. My name is Christina Miner, and I am the host of this podcast. Before we begin this episode, we would like to provide our disclaimer. We are not claiming to be medical professionals or any other professional providing advice regarding your treatment plan. We encourage everyone to follow their doctor's orders. We are only here to share our experiences and provide support. Today's guest is Gina Lamana, and she is such a beautiful person. I got to know her just a little bit, but (laughs) she's such a beautiful person, Um, and I cannot wait to get into her story. She's a breast cancer survivor. She is definitely an advocate, and she is the founder of the Fondle Project, so thank you for joining us, Gina. Thank you for having me, Christina. (laughs) It's to be here and to chat with you. Yes. So before we get into some of the main questions, the first question I ask everyone is who's Gina outside of breast cancer survivor? Um, who are you? Um, that's a really great question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) a very multifaceted person. Um, I'm an East coast transplant living here in Los Angeles. I'm a divorced single mother of two. I have two little girls. Uh, soon to be 11 and a high schooler. Well, she'll be starting high school tomorrow, 14 and a half. Um, I'm a fashion stylist turned entrepreneur. So I've been in the fashion industry since I've been 18 years old. Was diagnosed with breast cancer officially in December, 2016. And my journey began, well, treatments and surgeries started in January of 2017. Wow. So you said that you are a fashion designer? Fashion stylist. stylist, Yes. Okay. I'm thinking designer because I see all these great things that you have on your website and I'm like, oh, maybe she designed them all. Um, So you're a stylist. So before, before what were some companies that you worked for or did you kind of like freelance? I did freelance. I was in production for many, many years. And then in the year of production, meaning like editorial and commercials and whatnot back in the day. But then in 2005, I believe it was, I was extremely burned out Mm -hmm. of being on production, doing long hours and working within that industry. And I had a very small, you know, during the time of being a stylist, I I nurtured an incredible roster of other fashion stylists, designers, production, you know, teams, directors, producers, whatever, and built it in, um, and many relationships with various showrooms. Mm-hmm. And um, with that experience and that community of people that I um, had met through the years, I had an idea to kind of create a um, business where I would style women, busy professionals, Mm -hmm. a lot of moms on a more one-on-one basis. And Mm -hmm. what that looks like, what that looked like is um, I created, I have a detached guest house here at my house Mm -hmm. and I um, had a kitchen in it has a bathroom and I transitioned into a beautiful studio space for my clients, for my private clientele where I showcase and host various events with female founder brands and carry and showcase female founder brands within my studio where I style women in a more private, intimate setting. So by doing this, it created um, a space for me and the freedom to become a mother and to be able to be around with my kids, you know, my 
I created my own hours. I was my own boss. I was able to pick up my, I was able to have babies and have my babies in the sling while I work with right. my kids. pick up my kids every day to and from preschool. So it's really, it gave me the flexibility and the freedom that I was actively seeking back then. Cause at the time when I was, when I became burned out, I knew I really wanted to become a, have a family. I was getting married and mm-hmm. I wanted to have a family. And I was kind of like, what can I do to kind of have it all? Not to mm-hmm. say it was easy, but just to kind of figure out a way to pivot into something where I was getting burned out and where I could still have a family and continue working with women, doing the things that I loved and um, have the flexibility, being my own boss. So yeah, so I converted my studio in 2006 Mm -hmm. and it's been amazing. However, um, you know, I lost my father in January, 2022, unfortunately. And Mm -hmm. since then I was trying to figure out my next step, mm-hmm. you know, it was a, it was, um, it was really hard for me to, to lose him. And I kind of felt lost. Mm-hmm. And although my business that I had, you know, created and the women that I work with and the clientele that I have created, you know, been amazing. And I built an incredible community of women. And, um, but I kind of felt lost. Right. And with going through breast cancer, losing my father and also going through a divorce, mm-hmm. <laughs> lots of things, I kind of felt there was an imbalance and I, I, I just kind of felt lost. So in, um, what are we, 2023? So in 2022, fast forward to the Fonda project, um, in 2022, um, I, well, wait, hold on. Let me back up for a second. <laughs> You're fine. So <laughs> let's ask you a question. So you had the, you had, you were a stylist, then you pivoted into your home, which I think is absolutely genius because I kind of did some things like that. When I started having children, my husband wanted me home and I'm like, how? So I started thinking, what could I do where I'm still be it feeling like I'm giving to society or giving my services out, still making some, in- just having that independency. And you shift sometimes, you know, you shift and you think of things where you can be your own boss um, and to have that flexibility to um, be with your family. So when all of that happened, so that, that obviously was before breast cancer, correct? Yes. Okay. So what was life before breast cancer? You had the business and everything. Was there anything else going on before breast cancer? Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. That's a, that's a, a, Um, so right. So in 2006, I created my by appointment only concept studio here in West LA and in, let's see, 2015, 2015, Mm um, I separated from my husband. Oh, okay. So, you know, so there was a couple years leading up to my diagnosis that I was going through some changes, you know, mm-hmm. stress, quite a bit of stress in within my marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so in so officially in 2016, which was July or no June of tw- no I'm sorry June of 2015 is when mm-hmm. we separated. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so before I was diagnosed, I was running my business, 
being trying to be a super mom. Right. I was trying to keep my marriage together. Unfortunately, it kind of, it crumbled. Mm-hmm. Um, so in July, 2015, we unplugged. However, um, we separated extremely amicably. Our main goal t- to this present day is to raise our two little girls. We co-parent beautifully. We remain very, very good friends. And he was actually one of my rocks during my wow. my whole breast cancer journey. So yeah, so went through a mar- I went through a divorce. And, um, but leading up to my diagnosis and I'll get to how I was, you know, how I discovered my, um, very healthy, active Mm -hmm. woman, vibrant, putting aside the stress I was dealing with within my, my home, Mm -hmm. within my marriage, I was healthy. I was strong, you know, working out every day. I was just, I had a really beautiful full life. Um, oh, and then during the during since the age of 30 this is a very key thing i need to add from the age of 30 to um 41 i my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer my mother was diagnosed at the age of 68 so post menopausal right the age of 30 i was thrusted into um um routine screenings every six months Every six months, I'd have an ultrasound and then a mammogram. So that was my rotation every six months. Ultrasound, oh, mammogram, wow. ultrasound, mammogram. From the age of 30 until mm-hmm. the age of 41, till I was officially diagnosed. And that was because of your mom's? Yes, your mom's because, of my mother's, okay. because of my mother's history, yes. Neither one of us have the gene. Oh, wow. Okay. But um, it was just precaution. Like, look, you know, your mother, even though she mm-hmm. was post-menopause, we want to put you into the get this you know this routine screening and I had very large breasts at the time and they were very dense so um so from the age of 30 until present day I'm very very proactive on my self-exams right right um so and do you want me to get in do you want me to start oh no I was (laughs) I was just so fascinated because your doctors some doctors they may do the screening and some doctors may not because there was no gene found. I found some women because there's no gene, they may do it once a year, but they're not doing it as routine as what. That's why I was sitting here like, wow, that's impressive that you had such proactive medical, uh, such a proactive medical team. Every six months, ultrasound mammogram. Wow, ultrasound, which at a at the age of thirty, right very stressful, a lot of anxiety. I was getting biopsied quite often because they're always finding cysts. And, you know, it's very, it is common for women to be very lumpy and bumpy and right. have, you know, um, fibrous, you know, tissue and cysts and whatnot. So I think the first couple of years when I was thrusted into that routine, I think I had like three or four biopsies then. Wow. There were always cysts or whatnot. Right. So you always found there was always something there, but it was benign. So what exactly was it something that you found or they found on these imaging that lead you to the diagnosis of having breast cancer? Okay. So I went in July of 20, what's it? Let's see. I was officially diagnosed in October, my dates, October 20, November, 2016. So, right. So it was July, 2016. I went in for my ultrasound not everything seemed to be fine right no but during during that time because I was constantly 
giving myself self exams is always, mm-hmm. you know, looking, feeling and touching and being very, becoming very familiar with my normal each month and any changes and whatnot and documenting thing or letting my doctors know. So in July of 2016, went in for my routine ultrasound, everything seemed to be fine, but Leading up to my mammogram, which was in November, 2016, during that time, I kept feeling something. Mm. I felt something very right. small on my right, on my right breast. Actually, it was like right here. Okay. Between my, um, my breast, like around my sternum area. Went in for my routine mammogram that I was due for, came back. They said it was fine. Come back in a year. However, I, women are so intuitive and I'm all about following your gut. I think it's so important that we follow our gut and follow our intuition and listen to our body. So November, 2016, I got my, my negative results back. However, I continued to feel something that didn't, that didn't seem normal. Right. I caught up my OBGYN who I absolutely adore, went to go see her. She felt that she goes, okay, I'm going to send you to so-and-so again, so she can take a look at it. So there's a series of steps. I go to see my breast surgeon who had done my prior biopsies Mm -hmm. and prior ultrasounds. She does um, an ultrasound in her office. She felt it. She was in agreement that it felt a little off and funny. However, didn't see anything suspicious again on the ultrasound. And I was like, okay. And she's like, come back. We'll keep an eye on it. Come back in six months. And I looked at her and I was like, Mm-mm. something's not feeling right to me. Right. I'm newly single. I'm 41 years old. I have two young girls. What would be, I need a little more reassurance. What would be the next step for me to get that added reassurance? And she said, well, we can, we can get you a, a breast MRI, but you're, ins- I can't sign off on it. Your insurance is not going to cover it. It's going to have to come out of pocket. Right. I said, That's fine. I will totally pay for it out of pocket. Cause I just wanted that extra reassurance. Right. Okay. Go through all the motions, right. Of going to have that, the breast MRI. And it was around Thanksgiving of 2016. And I was with my dad. My dad was visiting from the East coast. It was around Thanksgiving. And I got the phone call from my breast surgeon to share with me that they indeed did find something suspicious. I almost went off the road. Oh, wow. And I uh, gathered my thoughts and whatnot. What I called her back and she told me what I had to do for my next steps that we'd have to have a biopsy done. And mm-hmm. we go in for the biopsy. I, I Again, I, I don't know if it was a week later or two weeks later, but That's I went, in my, yeah. went in for my bi- biopsy in November of 2016. And it came back benign from UCLA. I don't know if I should really say that, but it was from UCLA. Mm-hmm. And obviously we were relieved. Right. However, my ex-husband and I are very, very big believers on second opinions. Right. Second opinions if you have access in the resources. Absolutely. Just and for me it was like from from day one, all these little things, I was like, I'm just gonna keep following my intuition. Again, I'm just gonna, you know, seek out a second opinion. So we sent that out first week in December to MD, MD Anderson and Sloan Kettering. Okay. My doctor here at UCLA was totally okay with sending off the pathology. She, we just had to kind of like fill out on the, we went online, we had to fill out some paperwork. I had to sign it off and she had to sign off and we 
forward over the pathology to MD Anderson Sloan Kettering. So it wasn't until um, New Year's Eve when I got the results. I was mm -hmm. in Vermont because I was um, with, I had a new partner at the time and we were in Vermont skiing and I just left my ex-husband, my daughters in Chicago because we had spent Christmas together and went to Vermont, was with my boyfriend at the time and prior to um, departure, I had told my um, doctors, let me mute this, I'm sorry. I had told my doctors to um, give the results to my ex-husband, Stephen, mm. at the time. Okay. Because I, uh, I didn't want to, number one, I didn't want to get whether they were good or bad. I know, first of all, first of all, I didn't want to get that phone call if mm -hmm. I was with my daughters. Right. And I knew when Absolutely. I get that phone call, if I was by myself driving, like it like the first yeah because you almost ran off the road the first time right you know I mean? so um yeah. I gave them all permission please let my ex-husband know the results and he will call me and let me know at the right time and I'm not alone or I'm not driving right or when we can be together as a family so on New Year's Eve he called me and I was by myself at the time. Um, my boyfriend was skiing and I decided to stay behind and just relax. And he had called to tell me that um, he had good news and bad news to tell me. I don't remember what the good news was, but he had told me, you know, the bad news is like, it came back. Sloan Kettering um, came back to let us know that you indeed have invasal ductal carcinoma. So then from then on, you know, I kind of went to fight or flight. I mean, I was in shock, obviously. Right. Various emotion screaming yell and ran out into the mm -hmm. snow and all I wanted to do was get back to Chicago to be with my daughters to hold them because you know you hear that diagnosis and you're like holy shit am I going to die like right. what does that mean you know I I didn't know so I kind of went to a fight or flight mode and being in Vermont on the east coast mm -hmm. I was very very lucky because it, it was New Year's Eve and we acted fast because mm -hmm. since I was on the east coast my my first decision was let me get the Sloan Kettering to see okay. the first get get in for the first possible appointment whenever that may be to see a breast surgeon a breast oncologist all, all the things and right. my ex husband was in Chicago my boyfriend had come home from the mountain I was in Stowe Vermont with minimal Wi Fi and service I was sitting in his car outside because that was we had like a we had a couple bars to kind of make mm -hmm. calls and stuff and the three of us acted very quickly um, to reserve an appointment with Sloan Kettering, but mm -hmm. in order to reserve the appointment before they mm -hmm. can even give me that, like the first next available, they had to have five years of my medical records. Oh, wow. like five years. I'm in Vermont. It's New Year's Eve. Right. We do that. And I wanted to get the first available. And the first available, I think was January 4th. I think the first day they reopened mm -hmm. after the holiday. So the good news is my ex-husband, which I hope everyone who's listening will take note of this. He had every single one of my scans, physical lab reports, everything from like the last 10 years, all on, all on his desktop. He had everything compiled in a folder, right? you know, for me, like yeah. all my medical records, mm -hmm. which I didn't know he had. I mean, I had, oh, some, okay. but I didn't have that access with me because I was on holiday. Right. I had a lot of stuff on my laptop, but my laptop was in LA. So Stephen had always traveled with his laptop and he had everything kind of consolidated mm -hmm. and organized for my daughters and myself, which 
I'm grateful for. So he was able to compile everything and get everything. He made a couple phone calls in LA to get some discs, you know, transferred or Mm -hmm. Dropbox or what have you. And I was able to get like everything to this receptionist at Sloan Kettering by like 4.45 by the time they closed that day to secure that January 4th appointment to go see my, um, you know, to go see a team of doctors there at Sloan Kettering. so that's when it all kind of began on New Year's right. Eve of 2016. And that's important that you say, I say that all the time to people make for sure, not only because my situation was very, I got the note from the radiologist, but my he ignored the fact to tell me that I had, uh, what was it, calcifications and that my breast tissue was dense. He, he didn't specify, I should have had an ultrasound and he denied me in 2015 but I had been having breast issues prior to 2015. So I tell people all the time because of my experience, I got the note in the mail. However, on the paperwork that his report stated everything that I needed to know, including the fact that I possibly needed an ultrasound, but he had an order and he denied me. So I tell people go beyond the imaging, make for sure you also have all the reports and keep them with you somewhere at all times. So you can easily you know, have it's access to it. Important. Like, I mean, it is. you know, every time we, you go to a doctor, what, whether it's just your annual physical or routine screening or what have you, you should always get the report before you leave. And if they can't give you, mm-hmm. they can email it to you or the imaging. Like I just had an ultrasound done recently and she, you know, she created the disc and she put it in the mail yeah. for me. I think it's really important because not all doctors are connected to the same institutions uh-huh. and networks and they can't really like, you know, like UCLA has their own network of doctors. Right. So you can They can log into their computer and have access to mm-hmm. every doctor that I've seen at UCLA. Mm-hmm. But if you go to a different institution like Cedars here, that they're not all connected. Nope. So I think it's very important. I tell all my girlfriends and women that I meet along the way, like just get everything in one folder or you know, consolidate or have everything organized for a future. Cause you just never know. You and I, I'm fortunate because I would have never been able to, first off, I've never heard of that where they don't secure appointments, but I guess since it was, you know, it was a breast oncologist and a breast surgeon. He's like, look, I need, I need all your mammograms. Yeah. They wanted to do their own studies mm-hmm. and research on me, you know, just like MD Anderson, then MD Anderson came back with their, report and they indeed confirmed I had invasive ductal carcinoma, mm-hmm. but they wanted me to fly in for seven to 10 days to clear my schedule so they could do all their screenings, all their biopsies, all their lab work, right. all that stuff, which I didn't do because that was, I was already, you know, right. but so take note, gentlemen, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, so just keep everything accessible or, you know, on one folder, because you never know when you're going to need all that information. Absolutely. And if not, make for sure you have at least written down where you've been. <laughs> so that way you can go back and retract and get the information. And there is a, there is a retain a retention period. Usually it's about 10 years um, where they may have record that you've been there, but they may not have the actual films or they may be kind of um, hard to download. So that's something that I try to let people know often, um, right, exactly. which is, so that's why I say, get it. Like you stated, get it as soon as you can. Um, so you found out this information now, what was your treatment plan? Like, like who, and who did that? Did you go back to UCLA or did you stay with the, these particular doctors? 
So when I when I went to go meet with this team of doctors at Sloan Kettering, I I felt safe. I really liked mm-hmm. them. They gave me my my first layer of options. And so in a week later of January 2017, I had a lumpectomy done okay. at Sloan Kettering. Now at the time I was in a relationship and my boyfriend lived in New York. I was in a bi-coastal relationship. So when I was first diagnosed and going through all of these motion, you know, emotions and stages and meeting with people, I was like, well, I'm going to have all this done in New York. Mm -hmm. I'm from East coast. I have a, you know, all my family and friends are in New Jersey, New York. I was going to feel supported. I was going to do everything on the East coast, be with my partner and whatnot. So, um, I have a lumpectomy in January of 2017, and then they came back um, with the pathology to let me know exactly I was invasive ductal carcinoma. They confirmed mm-hmm. that it was stage 1B. My lymph nodes were clear, so I caught Good. it very early. I was very right. lucky. Um, he did give me my options. At the time, he said that I could move forward with just a lumpectomy, eight weeks of radiation, and five years of tamoxifen, mm-hmm. or radiation, double mastectomy, and tamoxifen. I okay. chose a double mastectomy. Okay. So in March 2017, I had a double mastectomy and reconstruction. Okay. I declined um, radiation and I declined tamoxifen. Okay. Okay. So I just went the route of multiple surgeries. I had six surgeries in 13 months wow. because um, I did have implants done originally. But mm. they made me very sick. Made me sick too. Yes. So yeah. um so that was a that's a whole nother. Oh yeah, breast implant illness. People I shout from the rooftop about breast implant illness and capsular contractor, which I had never heard of until it happened to me. And thank God my doctor was very open with the information. Um she was the one who said, you got breast implant illness. And I was like, and I went back home and researched. And I'm like, I came back. I was like, oh, you think I'm crazy? She was like, no, 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 no. I said, well, that's what it says on Google. So I told you stop Googling. Yeah, <laughs> that's, like, a, that's horrible, right? We should not Google. However, it does have, you know, its benefits for sure. Um, <laughs> breast implant illness and that was it. I needed no more information. She was like, no, you're not crazy. She said, some doctors do think that it's in the oh, patient's yeah. mind. She said, but no, she said she's seen too many patients with it. So she knew exactly what I had. And I had it from the expanders. I didn't even make it to the implant. Wow. Okay. Because as I mentioned to you earlier, when I was first diagnosed, I was vibrant, full of life, full yep. of energy. I, I didn't look sick. Right. I had glowing skin. I was active. I, I was full of energy. I had the the first surgery done, recovered, rebounded rather quickly. And then when I went in for my double mastectomy, I had the expanders for three uh-huh. months. So I was doing okay, consider. I mean, it was a lot of trauma. Right. That's well, and you, your body has to rebound and recover. I was doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And then of June of 20, June of 2017, everything was in 2017. June of 2017, I, I had the transfer from the um, expanders to implants. And I kid you not, Christina, within three weeks of these implants, I just, something just wasn't feeling well. I wasn't feeling well. Right. And I just kept kind of going through the, you know, moving throughout, you know, muddling through. 
And then at the be- then I started becoming more mindful of all these new things that were happening. And when I caught up, because I had a team of doctors, right? I called these doctors up. They all were like, you know, your body's been through a lot. It's yep. healing. You're rebounding. I'm like, okay, sure. And then like, I would say it was like month four or five. I was like, my lymph nodes were swollen. My skin looks awful. I, I had a, a long list of things that were going right. on. In the beginning, I was like, sure, okay. My body's been through hell and back. Like mm-hmm. losing your breaths is a big thing. Like it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of amputation for real. Like people don't classify it as that, but it is. Exactly. So go to Google. <laughs> in these things. Uh-huh. Didn't even think about my implants. Didn't even come across my radar. And then one night, somehow it did. I was like, implants, side effects. All these things started coming up. I mean, this was, what, seven years ago, six, seven years ago. So now it's, there's a lot of conversation about breast implants. So when I went back to my doctors and said, look, this is why Mm -hmm. things going on. They thought I was bat shit crazy. (laughs) excuse my language no but it's true it's true a lot of doctors don't believe in it at all they just kept saying it's all in my head even my my boyfriend at the time was like "Mm, honey I was like something's not right but my one doctor my GP who's who he does not specialize in oncology he was he's been super supportive since day one he was on board with me and ready to investigate was like I just would like to let you know it's very hard to diagnose Mm-hmm. but I believe you and let's, let's follow through. So he sent me to various specialists to try and rule out shit, autoimmune shit, all, all kinds of things, but nothing, everything kept coming back normal, mm-hmm. but I still was going to my, originally when I was first diagnosed, I was scheduled to see my oncologist every six months, like most women. Right. However, post implants, my lymph nodes underneath my arms were so swollen. I was going to see her every three months just to rule out yeah answer you know and that was I was so full of anxiety and stress every time I'd go see her she'd ultrasound them to make sure Mm -hmm. there was nothing wrong and whatnot but so it took quite it took a handful of months to convince others that Mm -hmm. I was sick and my health was deteriorating and then um my my plastic surgeon oh I, I I totally forgot. So I had my lumpectomy in, at Sloan Kettering uh-huh. and then I decided to do everything here. Oh, okay. So you did okay. come back. To- I did come back. I'm sorry. Oh, I came okay. back after my lumpectomy and I made the decision decision to be here in my home with my daughters. I had, you know, my besties yeah. here to take care of me and they, my girl gang came forward and they took care of me for six weeks post-mastectomy. My mother, it w- I was in great hands. Right plastic surgeon who did all I had six surgeries he did the the last five was amazing he was awesome um did my implants and he also did my fat transfer he originally too in the beginning was like I don't think these implants are making you sick Mm -hmm. he wasn't convinced that they were making me sick until November of 2018 when I had when I officially had them removed Uh did the transfer he was finally convinced that he that they made me sick did you have this smooth because I can't remember when they took these off the shelf but did you have the smooth textured or the 
the yeah, gel um, silicone smooth. Okay, yeah, I did. They were not text. They were not the gummy or the gummy the bear. Texture, the, I know what you're talking about. The texture. Um, yeah. It's one that had texture on the outside that they got rid. That they've taken off the shelf. Yeah. But um, they yeah. they were not. The, there was no leakage. There was no. I didn't really. I did, I did have one issue with them during the time I had them. They one of them flipped. Uh huh. She was able to flip back, which was very painful to do when they had to flip them back. But um, I had a handful of you know issues and and side effects from the implants, and um, I vacillated back and forth whether or not to go flat. Mm -hmm. I was you know because when I was doing my research in various format forums and and Google, um, deep flat tissue transfer surgery is a big surgery. Mm -hmm. It's a big ordeal. And um, they, it's such a big deal that they compare it to heart surgery. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be in the ICU for three to five nights, depending on your, you know, your recovery and all that. And I was like, wow, I don't know yeah. if I can, you know, I had two young girls and I was my own, right. like, my own like self-employed. So, mm -hmm. you know, recovery, everything, but, um, end up making the decision to not go flat and do the fat transfer. And I, and I will say that that was in November of 2018 within 48 hours, Christina, it was a game changer for me. Yeah. I, I already started to feel better. All those symptoms I had yeah. in those 12 months gone. Yeah. It's amazing. My husband, even after the explant of the expanders, I woke up and I'm like, my God, I feel like so much better. Like, cause I had so many, oh, I had array issues that were going on. And even when I went to my doctor's appointment, the first one, she's like, oh my God, you're more vibrant. You have energy. This slight temperature I've kept forever. Yes, I have it was like 99.9. .9. It would not go because <laughs> it was around the time of COVID for me. So my doctor was like, have you been anywhere? Da, da, da. I was like, no, I don't know why it won't go down. <laughs> it just, it stayed there. I had a temperature after surgery, 103 for three days. Then I had this 99.9 .9 that stayed until I got the expanders taken out. Then it went away. You're the first woman that I've met. I've met many women with implant illness, you know, in the last couple of years, mm -hmm. but I had an ongoing fever of 100.1 from the moment mm -hmm. Like, you know, and the only reason we figured this out, I didn't realize, I just felt yeah. warm, I guess, all the time. Right. And we didn't reckon, realize this because the day I went in for the implant removal and explant, I had a hundred point one, a hundred point one low grade fever, so to speak. And usually they don't perform. That's right. Through. Yep. But, and my doctor at the time is, was a little like, hmm. But then when he went back, cause I went to, like, as I mentioned, I went mm -hmm. to multiple doctors in that 12 month period to figure out what was going on. And he had a record. He's like, wow. He's like, Gina, do you realize that your temperature has been a hundred point one since? And I was like, it makes kind of sense. Like it all, yeah. I never really paid attention to that. So obviously the surgery went, you know, we went forward with the surgery, but like I had an ongoing low, low grade fever for 12 months. It was crazy. I had so many symptoms. It was unreal. It was unreal. I was like, how in the world I go from having cancer that I thought was going to kill me to this, that I don't even know what it is that's trying to kill me at this point. <laughs> I, your body, you know, I, I say this often, our bodies are so incredibly resilient and amazing. Absolutely. And if we, 
if we are in tune with our bodies, which oh, obviously no. you are, and I am, and our intuition, mm -hmm. it it's it blows my mind with everything that I've been through and the and being into intuitive and just paying attention to all the different things. You know, like if you were not in tuned with that, right? Yeah. You, don't, you know, just kind of like going along and just kind of slopping up, like, oh, you know, I, I had cancers. This is normal. I should yep. feel shitty every day. I yep. should feel these things. And but no, no. Yeah, really. it was it was bad. First, it was the skin twisting up and turning colors, and I that was the capsule contractor. But then these other things like GI, I eat, my stomach didn't hurt, but it came right back out. That went on for months, like until I got them taken out. The fever, the headaches, the sweating. It was so many different things going on. I'm like, this is not my normal. No, I may have pain every day. But this isn't my normal, you know, pain that I have. Your body so, was yeah, breast, breast implant illness is a huge thing. And yeah, so I, I totally understand and felt your pain on that one. So you had a deep flap, which is very... Yeah, that's a that's a major surgery because they move veins and everything, not just tissue. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to have like a little tummy tuck. And I'm like, no, 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 that is not it. <laughs> it's like they're going to move some veins. They're going to be very, it's a very. Yeah, it's yeah. My, I had um, it was my original plastic surgeon who I love and adore. And he teamed up with um, Scott Sullivan from NOLA from New Orleans, who does this. Like, he could, yeah. Does he's like every day, like he's one of the best, the best of, of, of a microsurge of microsurgery. And the two of them did the surgery. Um, I think Jay worked on my chest and, and Scott worked on my abdomen and whatnot, but it was a big deal. Like they transferred yeah. the tissue and the blood vessels and everything. That's why you have to be in the hospital, hospital for like four or five nights. Cause you have to make sure the tissue doesn't die. And that it all kind of, in a way, kind of everything's connected and working and flowing and all of that. So it's pretty intense. Yeah, that's a very intense one. And because I used to work in the medical field and my sister had just gone through her liver transplant and I used to work in the cardiac care unit, I was like, no, it's not just a matter of moving tissues. These They're moving veins. And when you start moving veins, you're going to have to be watched um, just to make sure, like you said, everything is working. So if you don't mind me asking, were you able to do nipple sparing or did you? I I had, I had my nipples. I was able to keep oh, my nipples. That's awesome. That's awesome. Cause a lot of women I've found didn't even know words and even offered, uh, nipple sparing, which is sad, but that was actually what my first minor procedure was a nipple sparing procedure where he checked to make to see to check around the surrounding tissue of my nipple to see if it was I could save it. So, so the cancer that I had wasn't near my nipple and they didn't okay. know that it was at risk. So I was okay. able to nipple. So, so, look, grand, so go ahead. No, no, no. So that was your whole treatment plan because you didn't go through tamoxifen. You didn't go through radiation. So you just did the double mastectomy. And so now you're being monitored every 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 six months. Okay. Okay. Well that's good. That's yeah, really monitor every six months and I feel really good. You know, honestly, when I was first diagnosed, I was on that wagon of like super, super green, vegan, all the things <laughs> I cut out. I mean, look, every woman is, you know, even though we've all been diagnosed with breast cancer, everybody has a different journey and plan, right? right. What makes you feel best and you know, a lot of them follow a protocol by their doctors and whatnot. But for me, um, I did that whole, you know, vegan, super green for like mm -hmm. a year and a half. But 
I became the size of a flea and mm. I wasn't enjoying my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm not a big, I don't drink very often, although mm-hmm. I started occasional margaritas during the pandemic, but like, <laughs> you know, like going out every once in a while, I wanted to like enjoy some cake right? You know, or, or have a glass of wine or whatever, or, you know, have some fish. Right. Whatnot. I'm Italian too. Like I want to cook meatballs okay. for my kids <laughs> and all those things. So, um, so today, this present moment, I feel, I feel strong. I, I'm, I feel vibrant. Mm-hmm. I feel great. I, the decisions I've made, I feel really good about. I'm, I feel extremely grateful. I caught it very early. Yeah, yeah. And that I can share my story and, you know, creating this project or this campaign project, you know, it's, it, it obviously is coming from my own personal experience, but there was, there was two components to this campaign. Mm -hmm. Number one, I'm sure you can relate to this being a survivor or what I'd like to say, call us thrivers. Right. Is the first couple of year the first couple of years after my diagnosis, I lost all my confidence and self esteem. Mm-hmm. Many of us do through radiation, chemo, losing our hair, breast reconstruction, losing our breasts, and being a fashion stylist. You know, my my clientele came to me for that confidence, ego boost, and to help them. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I didn't have it for myself. Right. You know, so it took me a, a lot of a lot of healing. And working on myself and going through the motions of regaining my confidence and self-esteem. And so fast forward to the Fondle project, it has two components. The first, the very big, the, the, the one thing I really wanted to spotlight was I really, I wanted to empower each and every one of us that we are beautiful. Our mm-hmm. scars do not define us. Right. It's just a chapter of our story, right? This is, it, it is our new normal, mm-hmm. but we're strong, we're beautiful, we're resilient, all those things. Because during my, my, the beginning of my journey, there was a point where I, that relationship I'd mentioned to you that I was in for four years, right. he was an amazing partner. He was very supportive, but the, the relationship ended mm-hmm. and there was about a year um, time um, where I was single. And that was very hard for, for me and many women mm-hmm. are on this journey. I had a handful of men when I shared with them what was going on or right. they would see my scars or I would just tell them a lot of them went running. They mm-hmm. just didn't want to deal with it. They, they didn't want to take it. They'd be like, you're lovely. You're amazing. But, but you mm-hmm. have this it's a little too heavy and they were scared or mm-hmm. for whatever reason they couldn't handle it. So that hurt someone's confidence and self-esteem obviously so you know I got to a point in my life where I was like you know what this this does not define who I am mm-hmm. this makes me a stronger individual this is just this is part of who I am right and I really wanted to spotlight these incredible women that we featured and photographed and interviewed that like they're all living their best life mm-hmm. Tisha Sophie Sophie my friend Sabrina, who was diagnosed originally at stage one, one uh, B, I think, at the age of thirty. Fast forward to her ten-year anniversary, was diagnosed at her ten-year anniversary cancer-free with metastatic breast cancer. But she is, 
hiking mountain right. mountains and traveling and hiking and like doing these incredible things and living her best life. Miss Sophie, you know, has three dance studios and you got Dion who just opened up mm-hmm. her first like lash, you know, lash salon, like, you know, and I'm doing my things. So we're all kind of doing, you know, Tesha's, you know, a big advocate and has her nonprofit. Right. She's doing all these incredible things, you know? So, you know, then I have, um, Rebecca who was told she couldn't have a, couldn't have a family because right. of all the treatments, but just had her beautiful miracle baby in November. And we photographed mm-hmm. her with her baby. Yeah. So this project is, yes, it is breast cancer awareness. Yes. To, to remind women to know their normal, become familiar with their bodies, right. Mm-hmm. To touch yourself. And it's not just your breasts. It's just become familiar with your body. Thyroid cancer is up, touch your neck and you're, you know, become familiar with all those things. So it's about knowing your body and changing the narrative. And especially with younger women, younger women becoming younger and younger at at a young girl, Rachel, who was 24 last summer diagnosed, who was missed, who was dismissed for three years. She found a lump at the age of 21 or 22 and was dismissed. And then was recently diagnosed last summer with stage three, you know? So it's about empowering women that are on this journey, giving other women hope to show that, you know, you can get through this, you know, and follow your dreams and do, do the things that you want to do and hope to do that does not define you, but also to really, really spotlight and highlight the importance that, Please don't rely on your once a year OBGYN appointment. Know how to give yourself a proper self-exam. Right. Become familiar and just know your body. Wow, that's so good. I consider myself very lucky because if it wasn't for me being proactive on my Mm -hmm. self-exams and being my own advocate, my fate absolutely would have been different. Absolutely. And that's with you actually going and having very proactive doctors. And I think that's an important part that people need to understand from your story as well. Is like you had things in place to protect you from the onsite of what happened to your mother and they were doing a great job. However, you then still had to advocate for yourself to push a little bit harder to make for sure that they examined an area that you knew shouldn't have been there have to be your own advocate and you know i'm sure you know this um 90 of breast cancer it's not hereditary right there's a misnomer here that i have many friends and clients that have move along with life i don't need a screening i do not have any history Mm -hmm. i'm good and i do not have the gene well breast cancer is becoming more and more common in women not only younger but with women that have zero history or do not have the gene So I'm, I'm pleading to all women, just become familiar with your normal, like what your, your breasts feel like and do your self exams. And if nothing feels right, seek out. And if, if your doctor says to you, you're fine, you're too young, but if something's still not sitting within your gut, you got to follow your intuition. Yep. You got to, you have to. That is so beautiful. So that's basically what you are doing now then. So it's the project that you're doing. And I know you just finished the first part. Is there anything else going on with the Oh my God, that's 
That's the big question I keep getting asked. So we launched June 1st and the project, as I mentioned, was a community of love. Yes. Everyone had come forward to donate their time and energy from the studios to the production crew, to the event planner. It was amazing. And I had seven fashion brands involved for the month of June who all the, each, in, there were seven brands featured and on all mm -hmm. women, there was 10 of us. So a portion of the proceeds from the things sold during that month of June were donated to Let's Fuck Cancer, BCRF, and the Breasties. So we had a really great turnout. Um, how I move forward, what I'm doing next, I'm not quite sure. I am going forward as a nonprofit, which is great. Okay. I would like to have... Um, future photo shoots in the future. Mm -hmm. However, I do need to raise money for that because again, everyone came forward to donate their time for mm -hmm. that project. So in order for me to move forward to do a rinse and repeat of that, it doesn't have to be of that level because it was a, a pretty epic photo shoot mm -hmm. and production. Um, I will, I, I will need to raise money to, to be able to pay the people involved. Right. That, you know, that can, you know, create a project or campaign again. Um, I think moving forward, what I'm going, we have an event coming up in October. Then doing collaboration with a, a young girl who is diagnosed with breast cancer. We're going to do a beautiful event in October, and I have various panels and activations scheduled moving forward, just to continue the momentum and continue right. the awareness and get women together as a community. And it's not just for survivors and thrivers. I really right. want to bring women together to really, again, to become familiar, know your breast, know your body, but, you know, learn a proper self-exam, you know, bring women together just to be on top of their health. Um, wow. So to be continued to stay tuned on what our next <laughs> steps are, you know, that's, that's fine. So October though, you are having that you're having. We are having an event, uh, like a yoga event, brunch type thing, um, healing through food. Okay. Los Angeles. Um, well, it'll be a very small private event, which proceeds of the tickets will go to an organization, which would be okay. great. So look, there, there, we're, look, the Fondle Project is about building awareness and community, and but it, there is going to be um, a raising money component to it eventually. What mm -hmm. that looks like is probably what, what I would like to focus on, Christina, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. as I move forward with a nonprofit is the healing aspect, because right now women, we're on the other side mm -hmm. and there's many women out there that don't have the resources that many of us do. That mm -hmm. is yoga, meditation, green juices, um, ultrasounds, you know, like Jasmine from sauna scene, she donated three ultrasounds for the month of July. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we did a raffle. I, I got inundated with women that can't afford, you know, so, you know, look, I'm not, I have not reinvented the wheel. There's incredible mm -hmm. organizations out there, keep a breast, the breasts that are doing all those incredible right. things. But I think with me being here in Los Angeles and all the women that I've met through my community through the years, I want to focus on getting the resources to these women that don't have, you know, whether it's, you know, I'm going to be collaborating with Viola Flora floral mm -hmm. balloons, you know, you know, sending them flowers, green juices, yoga, meditation, sound baths, things like that, that help us 
right. post treatment because I really believe that we can get through this aside from having our incredible family and friends in our community, mm -hmm. but it's about having a positive mindset and doing the things that bring us joy. Right. Can get us through this every day. Yep. You know what I mean? Even if it's a simple, like, you know, taking a walk or going down to the beach, mm -hmm. those little things that, you know, I'm speaking from my personal experience have helped me heal. Right. I'm, I'm surrounded by love and I have an incredible community of girlfriends that, that are supportive. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that I do. From, I get dressed every day. That really helps me, mm -hmm. you know, which is really great for me because there was a time during my, all my surgeries that I didn't feel good. Right. But then I started getting dressed every day. Hence the reason why I wanted to also get, get you know, jumpstart or launch the, the Fonda project because getting dressed daily helped me heal putting on a pretty shirt, putting on pretty jewelry or whatnot. So um, I think that's really important. So I'm, I hope that I'll be able to raise money where I can collaborate with other future brands where I can dress women that are going through this and things like that. Research is very important and I'm all for it. Research, right. we've come a long way, as you know, um, but I also want to take care of women right now. What do we need right now? Mm -hmm. You know, I just sent a basket full of groceries and a massage to a woman locally that's going through her, her yeah. you know, treatments stuff like that. And, you know, she feels good this week. She feels good. She sent me a note that she's grateful and she feels good and she feels nourished and she feels mm -hmm. loved. great baby steps, right? Take it day by day. And if it, today you feel good. Awesome. Yep. That's why I tell people take one second at a time. Cause there was a time I couldn't take one minute. I couldn't take one day. I had to take one second at a time. And it's important when you talk about like the mental health aspect. And that's why when I do these podcasts, I don't say before, during, and after. There's no real after for us. I say now. And that's because even for some of us who've come on the other side, we still have things that we may deal with when we look in the mirror or something that might trigger us because we now have triggers that we didn't have before. Um going through breast cancer and going through the, it's, it's post-traumatic stress syndrome, uh, it's PTSD. That's something that a lot of us have afterwards. You know, you hear about scan anxiety. Well, it's because I have to get a scan and I don't know what that scan is going to look like after I finish. So it's Thank those you. things, right? It's yeah. those things that people, and I think that's beautiful that that's what you're trying to really focus on as well is like the, okay, now we've gone through the treatment and a lot of people, especially sometimes family members and sometimes friends, they don't mean to, but it's sort of like, oh, you're cancer free now. You're okay. I was just going to add, mm -hmm. this is our new normal, as we both know. Right. And yes, family and friends want to help when as much as they possibly can, but many also are not capable or don't know how. Mm -hmm. for whatever reason but yes I've my own personal journey and I've I know many men and women on a cancer journey that have shared that once they're done treatment done a surgery or done their mastectomy their their family or friends or the community think they're done mm -hmm. so my I like to share here on your podcast to everyone that's listening, that will be watching this, if you have a loved one or a friend or know somebody 
on this journey. This journey never ends. This is our new normal. Continue or, you know, when possible, check in with them. Mm-hmm. Whether it's just a, a check in, hello, how are you? I'm here for you. Maybe you want to send them a note, send them a card. It doesn't even have to be a a, um, a monetary thing or a, right. a gift per se, but just letting them know that you're there for them to listen or to talk it through. Because for me, I do feel good. I feel strong. And I, I have my two little girls and I have a very supportive partner. Charlie's been amazing. And I have an ex-husband. However, I have my dark moments Absolutely. and I call up my, my girlfriends. I'm like, I'm having a day. There's days where I'll cry. I'll grieve my breath. And there's things that, you know, like, look, I'm sure you have this too. Like you have a headache that lingers for two, three weeks. Oh yeah. The doctor's office. They're yeah. scanning my brain. <laughs> it's, it becomes your new normal. I'm grateful. It could be that- a rash. It could be yeah. anything. And I'm like, what the heck is this now? Yeah, but you know, when you, your doctors want to be on top of it, they want to stand it. But, you know, so a lot of friends and family or colleagues think, oh, she's three years out or she's good. I'm like, "Mm -mm." so this is just my gentle reminder to everyone that's listening right now that, you know, that has, that knows people on this or that if you're on this journey, like if you, you know, keep checking in. Yeah, you have to, because, and then on top of the breast cancer or cancer, whatever type of cancer the person may have, you had life before this. So you could have had a whole bunch of stuff going on before this even happened that piled on top of this and you're still dealing with life and life doesn't stop. If you're still in it, it's going to keep on going and things are going to keep on coming at you, whether it be good or whether it be not so good. And that's why it's very important, like you stated. And even for some of our caregivers, because a lot of people, they look at us too. And it's like, oh, well, they look fine. They look great. They look vibrant. They look like they're doing great. And it's like, no, like literally my chest hurts every day. Like, but I don't go around like, oh, clenching it. Um, But yes, yeah, it's, it's a misperception out there that is sort of like, oh, you're fine. You got through treatment. You're living life and everything is great. Right. You're cancer free because you had surgery or whatever. Or, yeah. Know. And they mean well, they do mean well, you but mean it's like, well. it's not that simple. And even for some of the caregivers, they go through their own trauma. And if you mentioned, because I've mentioned um, to my husband one time, I was like, oh yeah, I got this. And he's like, what is it? <laughs> you know, like, do you need to go to the doctor? And it was, it was a cyst, but you know, it, it brought back a trigger for him. Um, so yeah, so it's just, that's we got to check in with one another. And, and that's another thing I want to, I would like to share too, if you don't mind, um, oh, cause I'm sure your audience, a lot of the women that will be watching this are, are in this, they are survivors. Um, it's important that we do check in with our loved ones because it also affects them. Absolutely. I didn't really, when, when I was going through this, I had my girl gang, I had my ex-husband and I had my partner at the time. Um, back, he was back and forth from here in New York, whatever. But during various surgeries, my ex-husband was at every surgery in the waiting room with my girlfriends waiting for me. And I never checked in with him. Even like, like at while he was taking care of the kids, Mm -hmm. he he took, he took, he took care of the, the family household and everything like that, but I never really checked in with him. And it was my best girlfriend who was sitting in the lobby with him that day. I don't remember which surgery it was. I think it was my mastectomy because I was in surgery for like 18 hours. 
um, she asked him, she was like, how are you doing? I haven't really seen you since you guys mm-hmm. divorced or separated. How are you doing, Steve? And he broke down. He's like, I don't, he had nobody. He's like, Gina has her team of girlfriends. He's like, I have, I have no one to talk to. Yeah. And that I was like, shit. Right. So I will check in with him on occasion because he is the father of my kids. Right. It was really scary for him to see the mother of his kids go through all of this. So once Mm -hmm. in a while, I will ask him, like, how are you doing? It's a a lot. lot. And I, cause I asked my husband, I was like, are you okay? And he was like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know how to process this. And even to this day, because that's why he hasn't been up here on the podcast, because he's like, I don't even know what to say, because it's, and also we got to think about men, sometimes when it comes to emotional things, they're not, not all, but some are not as vocal, or they're very direct, and that's it, there's no elaboration on it, but there's not always a lot of support either for them or for other caregivers, so I think that's important that um something that we all need to be mindful of as well is just giving back you know just making sure they're okay as well as ourselves you should absolutely interview your oh, husband yeah. well, i do i want to but he's like i don't even know what to say i was like well i'll kind of guide you through it because it's true it doesn't it is you know, yeah, we know we're the ones that are going through it and have all the physical and mental stuff or whatever going on, but it, it truly, it affects them as well. Everybody, it affects everybody. And I, when you were talking about your children, um, real quick, let, I want to touch on that because I got the phone call, my daughter was home and cause I told him, call me, I didn't care when. And, um, I broke down. I didn't think I, I thought, you know, I had been dealing with this for about 20 years, trying to get good, advocating for myself. And I did not even think about, oh my God, if I got the call, how would I handle, you know, cause I didn't think that I would handle it in the manner in which I did until I heard the word carcinoma. I heard nothing else but carcinoma. <laughs> and I was like yelling, like, oh, you're saying I have cancer and my daughter she had never seen me break down like that before. So it really messed her up. Um, and that was her senior year of high school. How how old she was 17, senior? She was, yeah, she was 17. Yep. So when you said you didn't want, I thought that was very good on your end far as like how strategic you were to wanting your, how you wanted your results. That's That was a very good point because it can traumatize them when they see their parent who has been very strong and, very always there for everybody else and then they just totally break down not to say that you can't show emotion in front of your children but I think sometimes if it you know that was just in the middle of the day (laughs) it's just like whoa hits you like a ton of bricks so yeah for sure it definitely affected my kids especially when they had to see me recover yeah really um post mastectomy and post deep because those were big Mm -hmm. recoveries so that was a whole because I couldn't pick them up my my youngest my youngest right now is 10 so she was four, I think. It's still like, I mean, I still pick her up at the age of 10. Yeah. But like, you know, I had to gently share with him, like, you know, when you post mastectomy, you can't, there's certain movements yeah. you can't do as you know, and there's, there's all these things. So it was really hard for them. They, they couldn't, they were like, what do you mean? I can't sit on you or I can't hug you. Like you can't pick me up. So it was, it was, it was definitely really hard to share and, all of that and to um go through all that but interesting enough my oldest daughter at the time 
how old was Ava? So she's 14, so she was probably seven. When I, I think it was post-mastectomy when I had all my reconstruction, my doctor was the same doctor for my daughter's teacher at the time. Oh, wow. So her teacher, I think it was her kindergarten teacher, first grade teacher, you know, knew what was going on and talked to Ava and walked her through and, and shared with her, look, your mommy's in the best hands. She is Dr. J. She's going to be okay. And look, look at me. I went through the same thing your mommy's going through and, you know, I'm your teacher. I'm thriving. So that kind of helped her along the way because she saw her teacher who she loved and adored strong and thriving and kind of like held her hand on the days in school. So so that was really helpful. That is so beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I do have to ask about your song and your word, but before that, do you have anything that you want to, any last things that you want to share with people or where they can find you on um, social media? Um, you can find me at the fondleproject.com or IG fondle project. Um, ladies, know your bodies, touch yourself, perform yourself exams. Don't wait for your once a year OBGYN. Just, you know, do it once a month or, you know, trying if you can, for me, I'm, I'm, you know, I've gotten some of my girlfriends and we, they make it part of their daily routine, like brushing their teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, we're, you know, we're all getting older. We have our skin routine yeah. and stuff like that. Like, and don't forget, you know, don't forget when you are performing yourself exams to do underneath your mm-hmm. arms. Cause I, I know two girlfriends of mine found their cancer underneath their arm, not around their breasts. So it's very important to feel around underneath your arms, feel all your lymph nodes underneath your arms. Love to it. fondle yourself. Yeah. That's my last word. <laughs> fondle yourself. <laughs> you know, if you have a partner, husband, spouse, girlfriend, whatever, like let them look at you and check you out. They sometimes know your body probably more than you do. So yeah, yeah. it's true. It's true. <laughs> So when I seen the name of your project, I'm like, this is perfect. That's what we're supposed to do. I did not come up with the name. No, my partner, Charlie, my boyfriend came up with the name Fonda because he wanted me to walk through my situations. Like, right. Walk me through this. And I was like, well, I was always fond, you know, I was always fondling myself and fondling my breasts to make sure he goes, wait a second, let's do fondle. And at first I was kind of like, Ooh, I don't know about that. Cause it has a negative connotation to it. Yeah. And I was like, but I want you to lean into it right? to grab your attention, especially the younger generation. It's somewhat provocative, like, Hey, you know, the girls in their twenties become familiar because a lot of these girls are not getting the education they need to know they're, they're not getting this in sex ed. They're not, they're not. One twenty-three year old that I interviewed, she's like, I wish I had known this. Is that Um, yeah. from the girls as well, even though I know we're not talking about males, but even the men, like they're not being, I had a group to come on a male breast cancer group and they were talking about the same thing, like education in the school systems and stuff. We talk about the reproductive organs. We talk about these different things. We go to the doctor, a female may be examined, but a male's not, and it's hitting everybody. Like it's not discriminating at all about who is hitting or who right men need to do it men need to touch everything yep they have to because um the young man that I interviewed he was 17 when he found the lump but he didn't get diagnosed till his 20s wow 17 okay yeah so it's both but yeah you're right just touch self fondle do what you gotta do (laughs) exactly 
So what was the name of your song and the artist? And why did you choose that song? Um, it was by Polo and Pan. They are, they're DJs. And I want to say that they're from Copenhagen. Um, it's one of my favorite artists. And when I listen to them, I love to dance and I love to move my body. So when I listen to them and hear their music, I just feel alive and feel vibrant. And it, it just makes me move my body and it just reminds me of how strong I am. Wow. I like it. Yeah. And my daughters love them. So oh, do <laughs> we, we have, together dancing together. We have a five, we have 5 PM dance parties every day. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's nice. I like that. Yeah, That's something they'll never forget ever. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. New memory. Um, okay. So one word that you can leave everyone with that can help them with either a wound, a new wound, or something that's a scar on their body or in their mind that they deal with every day that they're still trying, not necessarily to overcome, but to just be able to handle it, be able to look at it without it being so gut-wrenching to them every time that they see it or think about it. Just something that has helped you maybe get through. I think one word I could share or remind each and every one is that we are resilient, resilience. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the capacity to recover quickly. And I feel that if you, we all have the capacity to work through things. And again, going back on the positive mindset, if we continue to, you know, surround ourselves with love and people that are positive and doing the things that bring us joy, I mm -hmm. think that, um, yeah, I think that we are capable and we're resilient to, you know, withstand and overcome anything. I love it. That, I mean, that that's, when I think of myself, even my kids and the mm -hmm. women I've interviewed and met along, along my journey and the women that I feature my campaign, they're strong and these women are resi resilient. Mm -hmm. And I think if you just continue to remind yourself that we are resilient and we are capable and we are strong and we, you're, you are going through something like this, we're stronger on the other side. We become right. stronger, you know, and our bodies are resilient. And if we are, if we take care of our bodies, mind, body, and soul, mm -hmm. I really, truly think that we can overcome and withstand many, many things that come to Come to the table that surface. Awesome. So before we end, I always like to say something back to my guest. And you're so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you are too. <laughs> I love, I love this interview. Um, and what I have found to me, what I found about you um thus far, as far as not just the interview, but just our conversation back and forth, a little bit of chatting here and there. I hope that as you continue to move forward, because what is on the horizon is probably much bigger than you could probably even imagine. And I know you have things going on that you're imagining, but yeah, it's probably beyond that. Uh, but also to remember within that, to continue to have your quiet times, your balance, Thank you got to be it because it's gonna, 
it can pick up. And I'm sure you know, with working in this in the industry, how things can pick up, how things can burn you out. But the one thing that's not going to burn you out is the fact that you are staying intentionally in your purpose. <clears throat> so excuse me. So when you're in your purpose, you, you might get worn out, you might get tired, you have to take some little breaks. But at the same time, you're going to keep on going because this is your purpose. This is what you've been purposed to do on this earth. This is part of your purpose anyway. And because of that, you're also going to get the energy to continue to move on. But just being conscious of, I need to take breaks. I need to have that balance. And to continue to evolve because you're not done yet. Right. You're absolutely right. I do believe that my cancer diagnosis was a blessing in disguise. It was my, it was the universe telling me, to slow down. And since I've been diagnosed, I have gentler days and I take care of myself. I'm more present with my family and I pay attention to everything. And, but, but also I, I have, I have found a new purpose in life and I want to give back. And I'm super passionate about being an advocate and just being there for other women. Yeah. And just, you know, continue to relax in that and people even continue to help you out and exactly. accept it exactly accept it because you're you're definitely evolving into even more than you haven't even seen yet so but i just thank you so much for coming thank up you here so with thank me. you and so well that's the a wrap for another episode of our scars speak and i thank each and every one of you for watching this episode please go check out the fondle project and make for sure that you remember that our scars speak they speak a story that should be told when you get ready to tell it we're not trying to force you to tell it but just know that every scar that you have that's mental and physical that it speaks a story and it speaks a story not only to yourself but to others. It helps others get through the wounds that they have now developed. Okay. With that being said, I love you all. And I hope to see you back again real soon. Thank you for listening to Our Scars Speak. And we hope you can join us again real soon. Meanwhile, remember that our mental and physical scars speak a story that can help heal the wounds of another.